0: All of our family Christmas things are done. So Sue and I actually have to go to Sydney on Christmas Day to be with our daughter-in-law's family. And so um, all of our extended family, so both Sue's side of the family and my side of the family, we've done stuff. Our works have had, you know, my Uni Hill's had their stuff thing. Alpha, where Sue works, has had their stuff thing. So there's been a lot of food, but I was very good. So I encourage you all to do follow my lead. Be very good. This Christmas, in fact I want to welcome, I have some amazing family members here, so you wonder why my wife's not sitting next to me this morning, it's not that we had an argument on the way to church, uh, actually she's sitting next to her mother, so maybe some of you may not know Moira, Moira's part of our Box Hill campus at Living Streams, um, but the reason that she's she's been here a few times, but welcome to my, She's. I call her my favourite mother-in-law, out of all the mother-in-laws in all the world, that's my favourite one. And then next to her is um, her son, so Sue's brother Gordon and his wife Carol. They live in New York, been here for 10 days. And in fact, Gordon is a world champion lacrosse player and coach. He's in the Hall of Fame of lacrosse. He's been written up as the world's best player and also as one coach of the year. He now coaches a team um, on Long Island in New York. So who knows or who doesn't know what lacrosse is? Yeah, Gordon, you'll have to explain it to them later. Don't put your hand up, Gordon. <laughs> So uh, they, they fly back home tomorrow for Christmas. So, um, and look, welcome to anybody else who's, who's um, here. Pastor Charles isn't with us this morning because he's at our Box Hill campus um, over there this morning. So he sends his love um, to everybody as well. Hey, before we finish our service today... We're going to actually take up a missions giving. So we do this every month. So we, you might remember in September, for those of you who are part of our church family, um, most of us made a faith promise commitment supporting the two projects that we're involved in overseas. And uh, so, But every month we actually take up giving. We, again, we, there's no coercion with our giving. We don't put any pressure on you. But just to make sure that if you have um, forgotten about making that commitment, some people give online, some people prefer to give when it's taken up. So we're going to do that just as we close the service today, knowing that Christmas is around the corner. And I've got a great story to tell you around our uh, missionaries when I get to that as well. Now, um, Samuel mentioned we've been doing a whole series called The Scandal of Christmas. And really what we've been trying to do is peel back some layers that um, our culture has put on top of the real story of Christmas. We only actually have two sources um, that were people that one was there, so Matthew and Luke are the two sources that we have for the Christmas story. The other two Gospels don't mention the birth of Jesus. And that's because ancient biographies didn't care about where someone was born in their family heritage most of the time. What they cared about when they compare Gospels with other ancient writings in terms of biographies, the focus usually was on the victory the person had. So it was usually some, like a general or a very well-to-do family. And so, of course, for us, the Gospel victory is Jesus' death and resurrection, which follows the same pattern of ancient biographies, and how they died, actually dying well in the ancient world, was one of the key focus of biographer writers or scribes as we often refer to them. And so of course in the gospels we have this focus of Jesus death and that he died well and rose again. And so it's actually unusual we have two accounts of a birth. Now you might in today's modern era if we wrote a biography we would focus on you know their parents, their great grandparents, where were they were born, where they went to school, how they grew up. But in the ancient world, that wasn't the focus. And so actually what happened is God included in his, in his word to us two accounts. Now, Matthew is an eyewitness to a lot of the gospel story because he's one of the original 12 disciples. So when you think about that, he knew Jesus personally. He would have known Mary. He knew Jesus' siblings. And, and on and all the stories that we read, Matthew was participating in a lot of them. And so, of course, when he gets to write his story or his gospel, he includes all the information that he would have heard from Mary about the birth of Jesus, her firstborn son. Luke wasn't one of the original sort of disciples, but he was alive at the time of Mary. And in fact, he becomes a a scribe and a travelling companion to the Apostle Paul who of course went through the Gentile nations preaching the gospel. So Luke receives a lot of his information from the other apostles as they travel together to preach the good news about Jesus. So when we look at our Christmas you know, images, our Christmas carols, we have things embedded in that story that are actually not in the gospels, but we assume they're right. So for example... Um, the first week when we started this uh, series, where I was talking about how um, God always included for people who were not acceptable in the world's eyes or in an ancient Jewish legalistic culture approach, God always made a way for misfits and undesirables to be part of his kingdom and that's why we're all in it today, amen? You're all misfits and you're all undesirables but God loves us just the same. And he actually made a way for us to get into his family. That was always God's plan. And then last week, Pastor Charles was talking about how God used Persian pagan astrologers in the gospel story. And they responded to the fact that they noticed a star in the sky that was never normally there. And they followed it because their belief was that was a sign that a new king had been born. And when they start on their journey, they don't know where they're going, they don't know how they're going to get there, they don't know all the issues and the troubles they're going to encounter. But even though God hasn't revealed the whole plan of what they were going to experience and where they were going, they still followed the prompting that God gave them. And that reflects our story in life. God doesn't tell us everything about our lives and where we're going to go and what's going to happen. And we, some of us sort of sit around waiting for God to give us all the detail before we move on, on whatever it is he's prompting us to do or convicting us to, to give our lives towards. But in actual fact, the Bible's full of stories of actually taking a first step and God will guide you as you keep on your journey. Today, we're going to look at something a little bit different. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. So we're going to go to Luke's version of the birth of Jesus. And I'm going to read just a, a part of the story um, as we come around God's Word and unpack what I would like to share with you today. So Luke, as I said, is, is becomes uh, one of the disciples later on in time. So he's not part of the original 12, but probably on the outer group. But he has first-hand relationships with Mary, the other disciples and of course Jesus' extended family. So Luke is no, he's certainly, in fact if you look at the very first few verses in Luke's gospel, look at verse 1, 2, 3 and 4, it's not going to be on the screen. But he actually tells us straight up that he's done a careful investigation about the gospel or the life of Jesus before he starts to write. Because there were many Gospels spreading in the ancient world that weren't part of what God intended. So you may, sometimes you hear in the media, you know, the Gospel of Thomas, um, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mary. You you hear sometimes the media grab hold of these ancient manuscripts and make it like, we've missed out. Christians have missed out on these missing Gospels. But there's actually a good reason why they're not included in our um, Scriptures, and that's because the early church fathers had a bit of a test when they were arranging the books and the letters that they would use for worship and also the belief that God has passed it down from generation to generation to help all of us live according to God's plan and to actually make the most out of our relationship with God. And one of them was that it had to be used by the first century Christians. And so, you know, once you get to 70 AD, 120 AD, there were these other gospels, in commas, But they weren't being used by the original Christians because they had elements in them that were inconsistent with the people who were still alive, knew the apostles, knew Jesus personally, and they knew that those things were wrong. And so people would put their names on them, pretending to be Paul or pretending to be someone else. And so that's why they're not in our Bible today, because they're not consistent in terms of information and use of the early Christians. So we're not really missing out. Luke's a careful investigator where he's actually spoken to the people involved and he's recorded it down. So we're going to pick up our story from verse 26 of chapter 1. In the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, that's referring to King David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, "'Greetings,' You who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled. If an angel appeared to you and said greetings, would you be greatly troubled? Uh, I'd be greatly troubled, personally. Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That's referring to Yahweh. So the God who created all and sustains all things. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So again, we know he's descended from the line of David um, through Joseph's lineage and Mary's lineage. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. We're part of that kingdom today. Because we choose to follow God. Kingdom is not about geography in the Bible, in the New Testament. Kingdom is about people like you and me choosing to be part of his reign wherever we are. So it's not, it's not like a normal kingdom as we understand in terms of ruling with um, force in a geogra- geographical area where you protect your space. It's about our hearts actually coming before God and saying, You're my king, I will follow you no matter what you ask me to do, wherever you take me. You are my king. And that's the idea of kingdom in the New Testament. So that's why Jesus' kingdom never ends, because we're not the only church gathering this morning, worshipping God and hearing his word unpacked, and we are submitting to his reign and rule as our king when we do that. So verse 34. How might this be, Mary asked um, the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, that word overshadow, Luke is hinting in Greek to the Hebrew word of creation. So, the same God that created all things is going to create a baby in you. So, you know, when you read in Genesis and how the Spirit hovered or overshadowed um, the earth or or the universe as we understand it, so the same Holy Spirit is going to be involved in creating the Savior. So he says, so the Holy One will be born and he'll be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, so Mary and Elizabeth are related, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her six months. So she was six months pregnant when the angel spoke to Mary. Now I want you to listen to these last two verses. This is the angel finishing his discussion. For nothing is impossible with God, or most translations say, no word of God is ever unfulfilled. Now listen to Mary's response. So she's she's totally unexpected. She's not expecting this conversation. She's not expecting an angelic vision. Vision. She's not expecting to become pregnant. She 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 doesn't fully comprehend what the angels just described to her. But this comes out of her heart. She says, "I am the Lord's servant, and may it be to me, or may your word be fulfilled." So this morning I want to talk about. The scandal of hardship. Because as I read this whole account of Mary first hearing about God's plan for her life and her, you know, her being involved in the birth of the Savior and being Jesus' natural mother on earth, I noticed in verse 38, oh sorry, 28, and in verse 30, there's this repetition of the theme, favor. So the angel first says to her, You're highly favored. And then he repeats that sentence to her and saying, you found favour with God. But when you think about favour, do you think of an unplanned pregnancy? Do you think... Now, let's, let's again we're peeling back some of the sort of romantic notions of the birth of Christ and think about being her or being Joseph or, or being their extended family. Can you imagine Mary coming home and saying to her parents, "Mom, Dad, I just had an angel come to me and say, I'm going to be pregnant. Can you imagine doing that? What would her parents say? Yeah, sure. So she's going to have this baby she didn't plan to have. She's not married. She's betrothed. And it's in the ancient Jewish world, that's a little bit stronger than our idea of being engaged. It was It was almost like you were married. In fact, to break a betrothal in the Jewish custom included a legal divorce so in our culture we don't do that with engagement so even though they had not slept together or been together it was almost as if they were nearly married the only sort of thing left was the official ceremony to get them there and so she's not expecting to have a baby she's not yet married she lives in a very formal jewish culture where any any sense of fornication or adultery could end in her death and yet the angel says you're highly favoured. You found favour with God. Uh, to me, I see these concepts where we naturally would never put them together. Hardship and God's favour. And yet when you really think about if you were her living out the actual event and God's will for her life, what sort of favour is this? As one theologian I was reading says, you know how the angel in some translations says, I've got good news. Good news for who? Probably not for her. Right? Because we, we tend to over-romanticise these stories and not realise some of the stuff that's embedded in their culture and living it out in practice. Think about the other things she has to go through. So she's, she's not married, she's about to become pregnant. Then the, Roman, the Romans who rule this part of the world at the time call a, a census across all their dominated cultures that they've taken over and so because she's betrothed to Joseph and Joseph's family line is actually from Bethlehem, not Nazareth where they meet and where they're currently living, they have to then travel before they're married to Bethlehem and it's, that's a 105-kilometre journey while she's pregnant and so she has to travel that. that there's not much favour by God in that, is there? Then she has to give birth in a home that's not even her own away from her own family and she actually gives birth in a small room or cave normally reserved to keep animals because of the census there's nowhere else for them to sleep and so part of you know i see a part of mary's journey is this whole sense of the embarrassment shame and hardship that is actually part of her journey when god says she's not only just experiencing his favor but highly favored you can't get any more favored than highly favoured when, when God's messenger says that to her. So there's, in my mind, there's two opposing things, at least, at least for the, us Westerners. We, when we think of God's favour, what are the normal things that come to mind for us? I mean, when I think of God's favour, I often think of provision. So God's going to give me what I need, when I want it, how I want it. That's how we think, Right? We think of God's protection. Oh, I get sick, God's going to instantly heal me. Or, you know, someone... I don't know if you... you know, recently, um, I've had some friends who've had some stuff stolen. You know, bad things happen just because you're a Christian doesn't exclude you from hardship in the world that we live in. And we, But we have this idea if, if we have God's favour, that stuff should never happen to us. And yet, I would suggest that that, that idea is actually unbiblical. It actually is in the opposition to what the Bible, through narrative story, recording the accounts of many characters of God's people over the centuries, all of them experienced hardship, even though they're favoured. And so both exist at the same time. Both of them can exist at the same time. You can be favoured, but you're going to have difficulties and trials at times to get to where God's trying to take you, or, I mean, in Mary's case, the rest of the world. And so sometimes we, so we're so internalised or so individualised, we only think of our own lives as having impact on us. But in actual fact, it can have impact on many other people. And so we, we live with this sort of tension, I think, that understanding that there's some hardship for this poor... You know, at this stage, they think she's probably an older teenager, 16, 17, when this angel visits her and she f- becomes pregnant. And so, you know, you've got this young girl living in this culture that's going to shame her if they find out she's pregnant and not yet married, possibly put her to death, and yet god it's God's plan and it's God's favour on her life. Now, if you've been part of our church family since the start of this year and before that, what was our theme for the year? God's favour. <laughs> and so, you know, as, I'm, as I feel the Lord spoke to me about sharing this thing about hardship And originally I wanted to call it the scandal of God's favour, but I thought, actually, God's favour is good. Sometimes hardship is interpreted as really bad. And so, to me, these are like bookends of the year for us as a church. So we, you know, remember when we started the year in February officially as a church, we presented the theme, there's been... A number of different talks given on a Sunday around what God's favour is, what God's favours look like, how do you actually connect with God's favour and fully experience in your own life. We've done quite a bit of that. We did prayer and fasting in February around experiencing God's favour. You know, we, we many people fasted in the in the prayer and believing for God for breakthrough in certain areas of their own life and for our life as a church as well as a community. We had John Mellor come and, you know, this place was filled, I think, three times over. People got healed. Some people probably who were sitting here this morning personally experienced a physical healing or God's favour at one of those meetings. And then what happened in April is a lot of people experienced hardship in our community. A lot of people got sick. Some people ended up in hospital. Some people lost their jobs. Some people have encountered the loss of someone they love. We, we We're not... I sort of see Mary's journey as symbolic to our journey and how do we hold favour and hardship in tension together when God's at work. That's the mystery here. So, you know, when I experience real hardship, I cry out to God for him to instantly change the situation. You know, and sort of in my head, I don't usually say it out loud, but in my mind I think, well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't let me go through this. Anyone else think that? Don't put your hand up. We don't want lightning to come through the roof. But that's what we think. We think if God really loved me, he wouldn't let me go through this. If I'm favoured, if I have God's favour because I love him, I follow him, I'm devoted to him, I'm obedient, I'm in submission to his plan, I follow his word, if, I've, if I have God's favour, then automatically we think that, well, life should be Easy effortless, trouble-free, pain-free, no hardship. Now as Westerners we think that, but in most other cultures they don't equate Christianity with a lack of trouble or hardship. So the question is what's going on when God favors Mary and yet we know the story and you know this is one thing that came to my mind as I was reading through Luke's gospel is not only is she now going to become pregnant when not married, travel while pregnant for 105 kilometres across the Jordan Desert. I've been in the Jordanian Desert. It's not a pleasant... You wouldn't want to walk 100 kilometres in that desert. Um, She's going to give birth in someone else's home, probably one of Joseph's extended family members, but she gives birth in a room reserved for keeping animals. Then she's forced... Think about this. The next thing that happens to her, King Herod hears about this birth of some king... And he orders for all male children under two to be put to death. So her and Joseph with their newborn baby have to flee into a pagan culture as Jews into Egypt to save the baby's life. That's a bit of hardship, isn't it? That's unexpected. And then I realise at the end of Jesus' life, she watches her first son born be crucified. That's God's favour. So we don't, sometimes we sort of separate or compartmentalise theological concepts, but both are true at the same time. There are moments in life, like Mary, we will all experience very hard and difficult times, but what does that do to God's favour or what does it mean? How do we we approach God's favour? I'm going to give you a couple of things and I encourage you to write some notes if you've got a, you can do it on your smart device or if you've got a pen and paper. Here's the first one. God's favour does not exclude hardship. Now, I think Mary's life, at least the little that we have of it from Matthew and Luke and from Jesus' interaction with her mum in the Gospels occasionally that are recorded for us, we see that that's true. We may have struggle accepting it, but I'm trying to define it as clearly as possible. God's favour doesn't exclude hardship at times for all of us. Some Christians think that we should efficiently glide through life. No hiccups, no challenges, no pain, no suffering, no trials, no hardship, trouble free. And I think what happens is we end up looking at God or our view of God is what I call a God on demand. You know, we live in a non-demand age with, you know, digital technology, internet. You can watch anything on demand. And it's like we treat God like Amazon, eBay or Netflix. When I'm good and ready, I expect him to send my delivery straight to my door. That's what we think, right? So what happens is we're treating God, we're sort of setting up this expectation in our own mind that is actually unbiblical, it's never taught anywhere in Scripture, but then how do we, how do we hold both things as true at the same time in our minds about God and not treat him like he's our genie in the bottle? So really the bigger question is, who's serving who in the relationship we have with God? We think he's there to serve us, but that's not true. But if you have that expectation, well, you know what happens? Most of you probably have seen it. Maybe you've personally struggled with it or you've watched another person go through it. If they expect God to just deliver, you know, they make an order. It's like treating God like drive-through. Go to the window, make your order, go to the next window, pick it up and off you go then what happens is when God doesn't give you what you've ordered, you actually struggle with your relationship with God. It's like it corrodes your faith. Your discipleship sort of comes under attack, at least in your own mind. I don't think it does in reality, but we start thinking, well, God doesn't love me like, you know, he loves someone else. That doesn't happen to other people. Pain has this way of isolating us and actually separating us from the rest of the group, doesn't it? We always feel like it's no one else has gone through what I've gone through. And so part of the challenge is that we're actually, when we come into a relationship with God as a free gift of grace through Jesus, his son, we're actually putting ourselves in the submissive posture where we'll follow him. We do what he wants us to do. He doesn't do what I want him to do. That makes me like God. And so part of the reason is we've got to sort of, you know, this Christmas around thinking about the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph's experience, and the hardship particularly that Mary has, she still was highly favoured even though it experienced hardship as part of God's plan for her life. And so God's favour doesn't exclude problems or hardships. Now, they're not continuous. They're not always of our own making. Some, you know, some Christians suggest that. Sometimes it's actually the way that God's taking us because he's got a plan that's bigger than what we'll ever realise, see or understand or be able to comprehend. And it's not that God's favour is gone, we still live in the favour of God. To be in God's family, for you to be in relationship with God today, you're experiencing God's favour Even if you've had a very bad week or you've experienced a trauma in the last six months or, you know, things have gone horribly wrong and you're not sure what's what's going on, it's not that God's taken his hand away from you, but that's what we've told ourselves in our heads as Christians in the Western culture, because we can't equate the both things existing at the same time, a troubling experience and God's favour. Mary was right in the midst of God's favour and God's will, and yet look what she laid down out of her own heart to do what God asked her to do. So God's favour does not exclude problems and hardship at times. Here's the second point. And this this second point's a little bit of the same thing, but sort of one coin, two sides. I'm building on the first one. So God's favour doesn't exclude hardship, but the presence of hardship is not the absence of God's favour. I couldn't think of a better way to say it. You, you might be able to come up with a better way of putting it down but don't you, don't we feel that you know when we're going through a, a an absolute horrible crisis that we feel like we're not going to be able to make it through to the other end we feel like God's removed his favor from us and here's the problem I've encountered other Christians have told me it's my fault no that hasn't happened to you obviously no no I didn't think so We've got to be careful what we say when people are going through hard times. You know, for me, you know what I think changes our theology the most? Is difficult times. You know, when the hyperfaith movement was, you know, very popular and a lot of people were getting into it. Well, some of the people that I know, I'm personal friends with people that are right into the hyperfaith movement. So there is no problems. you just got to pray more, believe more. You know, it's that whole Job's three friends conversation, Right. You must have done something bad, Job. Greg, you've obviously upset God. You've got to confess your sin. But here's the thing. With with that type of attitude, we are assuming that God's actually removed himself for us. Well, when the Bible consistently tells us that he will never leave us. He sent his Holy Spirit We live in the new covenant age where we have his spirit living in us. He's always with us. He doesn't go anywhere. Someone once said, no matter how many steps you take away from God, it only takes one step to get back to him. He doesn't go anywhere. Now, granted, sometimes our own stupidity, pridefulness, arrogance, anger creates hardship and we have to own that. But we have to be very, very careful when you see someone else suffering that you don't become one of Job's spiritual advisors and help them to repent, fast more, pray more, trust more. Here's here's why. Mary is going to synagogue regularly. That's why God chose her. She was in relationship with God. Mary was praying regularly. That's why God chose her. Mary was in a culture that worshipped God and she, from her heart, we know from the conversation she has with the angel, from her heart she was there. She loved God and wanted to do whatever God wanted to do. That's why God chose her and it included hardship. So hardship's not the absence of God's favour. We either have it or we don't. You're either in God's favour because you're in Christ or you're not in God's favour because you don't know Jesus, his son. It's that black and white. And so we we just got to be careful that we don't, you know, in the midst of Mary's problems, she had God's favour. That's what the angel declared, first and foremost, you are highly favoured. So I'm pondering on this over the last few weeks, knowing I was going to preach about it. and Something sort of dawned on me about God's choosing of this girl, this teenage girl, when you think of, you know, I've actually been to Nazareth and Bethlehem. And, you know, Nazareth was a small, very small hillside village. I mean, now it's, it's big. There's a lot of churches on sacred sites and all that sort of stuff. But back then, it's a very small village. And in fact, um, most Jewish historians and theologians, even rabbis, they believe that Mary and Joseph's family probably lived very close to each other. So they actually knew each other. And that whole betrothal thing was, you know, part of the families talking about who's going to marry who. So they're not strangers to each other. And when when you think of God choosing a young girl to carry out this mission that includes hardship in her life, there would have been other young girls in the same geographical area that God could have chosen who were faithful to the covenant, um, obeyed the Torah, the law of God, you know, part of a local synagogue, worshipped God from their heart, not just in platitude. There was probably other girls there. But here's what I think was happening, is God saw her potential and ability before she knew she was capable of doing it. And it's because of her heart. It's not because she was um, special in terms of she had a more capability or, a, or ability or potential than anyone else. But again, that conversation she has with the angel, I think the hint comes out when the angel says to her, no word of God is ever unfulfilled. And that's sort of a reference to Elizabeth being barren and actually now being six months pregnant when that conversation happens. And also to Mary herself, who's about to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So the angel takes this concept of when God speaks, it's going to happen. Nothing can actually prevent, stop, hinder, It will take place. And I think it's her response that shows us her heart. Well, she says, in response to the angel's comment about God's word always being fulfilled, she says, well, may that word be fulfilled. Now, most theologians who study this story in depth, they say she probably didn't fully understand all the things were about to happen to her at that moment. But what she had, God saw in her such a heart of submission and devotion to him, he said, she's capable. She didn't knew she was capable at the time. She had no idea where she was going to give birth. She has no idea she has to travel to another village um, because of the Romans. She has no idea she has to flee to save Jesus' life because of King Herod. She has no idea about that stuff when the angel promises her about the birth, the pregnancy and God's favour. So God, I think God chose her because God knew what she was capable of before she did. But she, her capability to walk through trials and difficult times was because she had a devoted heart to Yahweh. That's all we need. I so say, I think God knows your potential before you do. I think it's the same thing. We always doubt ourselves. We've been told you'll never measure up. You won't cope. You can't do it. You know, we... You know, we 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 probably have all got our own stories of someone who has influence in our life, telling us that we won't be, we won't amount to anything. You know, all that sort of stuff. But I think it's not about developing a better skill or a better mindset or a better approach or becoming more talented. It's with God, everything's about the heart. If you've got a heart after God, I mean, I said to Samuel before the service about the prayer that he he read out here. He We did the prayer in our um, prayer meeting before the service. And that line in there that that just grabbed me was, you know, the line in the prayer was, there are kingdom things in us that we don't know we're capable of. See, God's looking looking for people with heart, not talent, skill, ability. Paul said to the church at Corinthians, which is a bit of a slap in the face to them because they were misbehaving, but he says God's chosen the foolish things. But not, not things as in items, he's talking about people. God's chosen the foolish to confound the so-called wise of the earth. That's you or me, we're foolish people. But God chose us, not because we're foolish, but because we have the heart. It's not wisdom, skill, ability, talent that gets you in the kingdom of God. It's actually your response to his free gift of faith and then having a heart that's totally devoted and in submission to God, even in the hardship moments that we all want to avoid and ask God to deliver us instantly. So I think Mary, probably over her lifetime, bringing up Jesus, then having more children with Joseph, building a family, all the stuff that happened then around his ministry, her being a part of it, on the edge of it, watching him being taken by the high priest, seeing him being crucified and died on a cross, I think she, over her lifetime, she began to appreciate why she was chosen and she responded accordingly. Didn't give up, didn't quit. There's no record of her ever complaining. In fact, if anything, Matthew and Luke tell us, she hid these things in her heart. These little conversations that she had with the divine messenger, the angel, and the, the knowledge that she began to unpack about what was going to happen probably over time, she hid them in her heart. She, in other words, she, she held on to them. Because we are going to be tough times ahead and holding on to God's word when you know what God's telling you to do. Even though you don't fully understand everything that's going to happen, you've got to hold it on in your own heart. So, it's, this is a far cry from this sort of general Christian view, um, this nebulous Christian view that God's favour means it, everything's going to be easy and things are going to be great all the time. Just come to God and you'll solve all your problems. No, if God chooses you, you might have some more hardship. That could be his plan. That was his plan for Mary. So here's my third and final point. God's favour doesn't mean it's easy, but it means you've been chosen. That's what it meant for Mary. didn't mean her life was going to be easy, but it meant that God had chosen her out of all the possible people that God could have chosen to carry his son he chooses Mary because of her passion and dedication to whatever God said whatever word God gave her whatever the scripture said she was going to follow she didn't necessarily understand everything that was going to happen but she had a faithful humility in her heart to go wherever God was going to take her and that's uh, I think the, the main thing of why God saw in her, I mean, God knew all the hardships she would endure on behalf of the gospel for all of us. You know, as I was writing this, I thought about, I don't know if you've been a Christian for many years, but there's this old song. I surrender all. Come on, who knows that? Come on. I surrender all. The next line. All to Jesus I surrender I surrender. Now you know why I'm not on the worship team. (laughs) Uh, But that song came to my mind and this is what this is I mean this is probably a message for me. I'm not throwing it on anyone here. We don't surrender much at all. I'm thinking of the words as I'm I'm studying this text and I'm thinking of my points and I'm putting it together and I'm thinking, oh, that old song, I surrender all. I think actually it should be, be, sometimes it should be, I don't surrender much at all. (laughs) I don't surrender much at all. Because it's too hard. And I'm talking about me. I'm not having a go at anybody here. But that's what came into my mind is how easy it is to sing and to proclaim collectively how great God is, but then when trauma and hardship and pain and difficulty come, we're out. We don't want it. So we leave. We blame other Christians. We blame the devil. But it's actually part of God's plan to mature and grow us and also to impact everybody else around us. Our faith is not individualistic. God is at work not just in my life, but in our community, in our suburb. And he can use you and me to impact that in a way that you'd prefer not to happen because it includes struggle. But it doesn't exclude you having God's favour at the same time. So as I'm going to finish this. kind of have the worship team up? We're going to, we will sing again before we finish. Not I surrender all, I promise. <laughs> so favour doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it does mean you have been chosen. C.S. Lewis, the, of course, the great Christian writer. Um, some of you know him because of the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, and a few other writings. But he says this about hardship in one of his books on theology: hardship often prepares people for an extraordinary destiny. And he was talking about the purpose of God. Not, you know, when you think about the word, you know, we like victorious type songs, and and we like sermons that that sort of give us this warm feeling that we're always going to win and overcome. And we do, but to actually get to be an overcomer, that is the hint there's going to be a fight or a struggle. There are going to be moments where you have to stand firm or you don't give up, even though you feel like you can't go on. There are moments where you have to rededicate your submission and surrender to God when you feel you've got nothing left to give him because you're mad at him because of the hardship that you're experiencing. I mean, we're all as human as each other. We all understand this dynamic of it's not always easy, but God's chosen us. He's chosen us. Even if you never were chosen by God, it was still going to life's still going to include hardship. I'd rather have God in my life as I go through difficult times than not have Him. Because He's the one that actually helps and guides and strengthens and encourages me. He puts me in a family like Uni Hill Church to help me carry my burdens and help each other for us to carry each other's burdens and sufferings. And it doesn't exclude that we're not in His favour right in the middle of it. So God's chosen you. That's what I want you to know this morning. God's favour doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but it means He wants you in His family for the rest of eternity. So, you know, God says to Jeremiah, some of you know this verse, I form, I knew you before I formed you in the womb. And before you were born, I set you apart. That's what he said to the prophet Jeremiah. See, God knows us before we were born. And before we were born, he knows he set us apart to be part of his family. I love this. When Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus, listen to this idea of being called or being chosen. Paul says, he chose us in Christ before he formed the world. That's a bit mysterious. Get your head around that one. He chose you and me to be in his family before he created the very earth and our bodies, this universe that we exist in. And Paul goes on to say that we would be holy and blameless before God in love. And he actually predestined for all of us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to his will. pre-planned it that's the favour of God because when we think about well what is favour we again think it should be an easy armchair ride from here right until we get into heaven no problems trouble free but favour actually means that we have his attention that we are actually in his family it doesn't mean trouble free existence it's about acceptance and approval With God, And so the reason why Jesus was born, the reason why Mary gave birth to the Messiah, was that all of us could enter into approval and accepted relationship with a God who created all things. Jesus on the cross took all of our punishment for all the sin, the wrong things we think and do and say. Jesus took the punishment of our sin. We have the approval of God, the acceptance of God, because we accept what God's free gift is by faith. We don't have to earn it. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be spiritual. You just have to be yourself and be devoted to God. You get the favour of God automatically, instantaneously, when you make a decision to make Him the King of your life. And of course, in a relationship with God, there's benefits. He does help out. He does speak to us. He does guide us. He does rebuke us. Let's not talk about that one today, but... He does correct us. He does encourage us. He's right here with us. So you have been chosen. So here's what I want you... To, we're going to finish now, but I want, to, I want to sort of... I was thinking about, I think God this morning, really His intention around our whole service was to encourage some people to experience some difficult times. I mean, Christmas is, is, is great at one level and it can be a challenge for many people at another level. And none of us are excluded from difficult hardship. But I want you to leave here knowing you're still in God's favour. It doesn't mean God's taking his hand off you and he's not interested in you or you know he's making you suffer because you did the wrong thing. None of those things are true. If we have a heart devoted to God and we're in the midst of a traumatic hardship time, we still have his absolute favour. And God wants you to know that. He's working out something in all of our lives that's bigger than just as individuals. He is a God that works to unfold his plan and purpose that includes our lives that's far bigger than what we could ever think or imagine so just close your eyes for a minute just for privacy I'm just going to ask if there's anyone here that's going through a very difficult time maybe currently or even just recently this year and you feel like it has corroded a little bit of your relationship with God and your faith with every eye closed I just want you to put your hand up because I want to pray for you personally thank you Fantastic. Just put your hand down. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. If there's anyone here that you you don't understand this Jesus God thing, but you're interested, what you've heard today about the real story of his birth, and the purpose of his life, and God's plan for Mary, and you want to make a decision or at least investigate who this Jesus is, who this God is, would you put up your hand as well? Is there anyone here that wants to investigate? I'm going to give you a guide. I'm going to give you a Bible. We'll pray together and I'll explain a little bit about what it means to make Jesus your King. Is there anybody here that wants to do that today, this Christmas? Can we stand together? We're going to pray. Let's all stand. Father God, we thank you that Mary had a heart after you, was obedient She experienced Your favour by carrying the Messiah and by being His mother on this earth. But we've also learned that Your favour is with us in the hard times, the challenges that we face. And Lord, for every hand that was raised here this morning, my prayer is that You give grace to them and strength to them. I pray, Father God, that Your Word in their life would be fulfilled. And Lord, they would respond in faith to that Word that You've sowed into their hearts. In fact, I think there are some people here, you've you've actually had a word from God before. It's come to you personally, either through someone praying over you or maybe a moment where you've had with the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit and the Lord's prompted you about something directly and you're just not sure how that thing can be unfolded now that you find yourself in the position that you're in. But I think the word for you is just again to encourage you that God is no word of God is going to fail. It will come to pass. And we are we are responding to God in faith in the good times and in the hard times. Because God is with us every step of the journey. He's the one that sustains us, encourages us, lifts us up and gives us hope, particularly when we need it. So Father, this Christmas, I pray, Lord, for every one of us that when hardship comes, we're going to be right where you want us to be, that we will endure, we will stand up, we will express our faith, we will come together as a great people worshipping God no matter what the circumstances that surround our lives at any given moment. And as we celebrate the birth of your Son, we will remember the incredible hardship that other people experienced as a result of that miraculous day of Jesus' birth. Amen. Amen.